Welcome to a special Transmissions Alt Mode, where we talk to people that write. Tonight, Charles and Jeremy welcome back Brandon Easton, writer on episodes four through six of Transformers War for Cybertron Siege, as well as an upcoming Ultra Magnus arc of Transformers Galaxies. Join us as we talk to Brandon about what went into the writing of Siege and try to get some hints into his galaxy storyline. Welcome to a special Transmissions Alt Mode, another War for Cybertron Siege-focused uh, special episode. We're excited to welcome Brandon Easton back to Transmissions. He's living the dream of many Transformers fans, having written three episodes of the new War for Cybertron Siege Netflix show, and is writing a new Ultra Magnus story coming soon in the Transformers Galaxies comic series. He's also had the chance to put his mark on the comic continuation of the original Star Trek in Star Trek Year 5, and tell a Spider-Man story in IDW's Marvel Action Spider-Man series. We can't wait to see what else he's got in store for us. Brandon, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's great to be back. It's been a while. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How you doing? Um, good overall. I mean, I can't really complain. I mean, things are going real well career-wise. And, um, you know, I, I live in um, Southern California where it's, you know, generally still nice and sunny. Um, it's been very hot lately. But beyond that, everything else has been pretty cool All in right. terms of life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, also it's a it, it, we're, it's a little bit different circumstances now that we're talking to you. I mean, how's how's life in the pandemic? Well, I mean, when you're a writer, hold on for one second. Okay, just wanted to turn down my fan. It was getting a lot, a lot of feedback. <laughs> um, I would say that life in the pandemic for a writer isn't all that different because most of the time I spend you know, sitting in a room or sitting in an office hunched over a computer. And now during the pandemic, I'm sitting in a room or empty office, you know, hunched over a computer. So <laughs> it's not that different for me. I mean, I do miss being able to, you know, just get up and go to a movie or a museum or to a bar or whatever. But, you know, until you know, we get this under control, I'm completely happy just taking it easy and, you know, um, you know, staying socially distant and being as safe as possible when I do have to go outside on important errands. So that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know working remotely myself, I'm used to like occasionally going and working from Starbucks or something. And that's been the biggest change, I think, just right. w working on stuff kind of to be around people. <laughs> not possible yeah. now. Yeah, so like you mentioned, the writing is kind of at, at the beginning of most projects. So this really hasn't affected your current and upcoming projects in the entertainment industry, or how has it has it had some effect? I would say that it has had more effect on live action TV development, like one hour and half hour shows. Um, a lot of the reality programs are still getting done because they're figuring out a way to do it around the social distancing mandates. Uh, for me, it's only slowed down like hiring for TV shows, like one hour shows, live action dramas and things of that nature. It hasn't really impacted animation or comics on the same level. Although the comic book industry took a massive hit this year because comic book stores were not open for most of this year. So beyond that stuff, I would say, yeah, things are pretty tough, but 
the industry, you know, it's a, you know, there's billions of dollars on the line. So they're figuring out a way to make stuff happen. Right. <laughs> so uh, let's, let's get into war for Cybertron siege. So uh, I know, uh, this this you've been working on this for a long time. It's nice to finally see it. We we've all got the chance to see it. Everyone's got the chance to see it now. So I think we'll we'll go into spoiler territory here since uh, I think everyone's everyone binged it pretty quickly. So uh, if you if you haven't yeah, seen know, it, right? not our fault. <laughs> yeah. So what did you think of the reaction that uh, that uh, fans have given to the series? It seems pretty positive. It's interesting you ask that. Um, I would say that people who Remember Transformers Generation 1 from 1984, you know, onward, particularly, you know, the first run of the cartoon up until season three and also season four, which was the Headmasters. That generation who watched it but hasn't watched any Transformers stuff since then, they're in love with it all because it's given them a piece of their childhood back. However, I tend to spend a lot more time on like the hardcore fan sites and a lot more of them seem unhappy for some. I don't understand why there's so many hardcore unhappy fans, where I mean unhappy hardcore fans, whereas the casual Transformers fans are like jumping through the roof with glee and they're showing it to their kids, and they're sh- even though it's not really meant for kids, but they're showing it <laughs> to their kids. So I would say that you know I would say it's like a 15 percent type of thing, eighty five percent to fifteen percent. Eighty five is very positive, but the really overwhelming negative fifteen percent is coming from the hardcore fandom that I've seen online. And I'm still, I will always remain perplexed by that. I mean, I have my theories about why that's the case, but you know, it's just, I've just been trying to stay as, as positive as humanly possible that there's still new Transformers stories that are high quality that are on Netflix of all places that we can see anytime we want now. So I am very happy and I'm bad. I've been very, very, so I've been strongly supported by the 85% of fandom who's just happy to have some new Transformer stories. I'll put it like that. Great. Yeah. I mean, we, we all enjoyed it. And I think uh, we're, we're, of course, I, I would, I would definitely put the transmissions in the hardcore fan category, but I think we, right. uh, I, I think what, what we've seen is that Transformers runs such a large spectrum of, of different themes and ideas that there's room for any kind of story you want to tell. And, I think right. always, you know, as long as the story is good and compelling and the characters are compelling, I think it, it's, it can be successful. And, and I think with siege, it's been, uh, at least for me, I was very happy with it. Well, thank you. I mean, we, it was a blast being, you know, in the development process and being, getting, being able to write the scripts that I got to write. Um, you know, I will say this much before we jump into more of Siege. You know, anytime you have a multi-generational franchise, whether it be Star Trek, Star Wars, Transformers, Doctor Who, you know, the, the, the particular franchises that everybody see, everyone seems to be angry about these days, you know, I just feel that you can't make everybody happy. Yeah. And that when, you know, I, I get a lot of heat for being a Superman fan because I'm a huge fan oh. of the Superman comics and of the media. And I will say this much that it has a lot to do with where you enter a franchise. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I entered the Superman franchise with Christopher Reeve in 1978, you know, the night the Richard Donner movie, Superman one. Right. So that's my memory of Superman, but there are people who remember it from George Reeves back in the fifties. Right. Mm-hmm. And then there are people who remember the radio dramas before that during world war two. So I feel that some transformers fans 
are so stuck between 1984 and 88 that they can't get past it. Like people were complaining about Peter Cullen and uh, Frank Welker not being there, but you have to understand something. That's not free. You know, Peter Weller, I mean, um, Frank Welker and Peter Cullen do not work for free. And then they have high quotes. So would we rather have Optimus and Megatron talking and the animation be horrible? Or would we rather have really beautiful animation with a compelling story and really good voice actors who are not Peter Cullen and Frank Welker? And I say that as somebody who is like, like those two are like my golden you know, the, my, like my holy duo of voice acting in the world. So I, and I understand why we couldn't get them, you know, so I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there, there's de- any, any project is going to, you're going to have to make trade-offs. And I, I think, uh, you know, the, the animation and uh, the the quality of the overall product just as it comes together is, uh, is what matters. And, yeah, I mean, there's always things you can you can nitpick and uh, and uh, have criticisms about, and and I think every everyone is entitled to have those criticisms, and sure. just you know, but I think the overall product outweighs the you know whatever uh, whatever uh, you know smaller issues there might be. So yeah, and, and make no and make no mistake, I'm not even suggesting that people aren't entitled to their opinions. I just feel that as somebody who's been a part of various science fiction fandoms since like the earliest of 80s, you know, like 81, 82, I've seen a level of nitpicking and dissatisfaction that goes beyond, you know, normal educated critique. You know what I mean? Like there are things that happen and things that are said that are so incredibly bizarre and so incredibly like just the the opposite of joy, you know, like you, I criticize a lot of things, but like, for example, the rise of Skywalker, a lot of people hated it, but I had a lot of fun and I know what flaws are in the rise of Skywalker, but I was just so happy to be sitting in a star Wars movie one last time, you know, with Luke Skywalker and all the guys I grew up with and ladies I grew up with being in it, you know? So I, I totally hear you with the critiques, you know, everyone is entitled, but I, I feel that there's been a growth of a fan mentality that is in, incapable of experiencing joy. And I, I don't know, you know, that's what blows my mind, you know? Well, I mean, I think the Transformers fandom in particular has been rife with that since Beast Wars. Oh, good God. Since, I, since I, I the first thing was not G1. I tell you, I used to be one of those fans until, and I, I don't know if I told you this story the first time we ever talked, but I went to Comic-Con, San Diego Comic-Con in 1999. That was the first time I'd ever been. And there was a Beast Wars panel because this is right when Beast Machines was about to drop, Right. And I met the showrunner of one of the showrunners of Beast Wars is a guy named Bob Skir, S-K-I-R. And I had all this stuff to say. I was like sitting in the audience, fuming, ready to answer, you know, ask my hardcore question. And I did. And Bob Skir, you know, I asked him something about, you know, why it didn't resemble G1 and blah, blah, blah. And he just said, look, you know, Hasbro hired me to work with Mainframe to make this show. And what they want is what they get because ultimately this is all to sell toys. And I didn't even think of that, you know, and that changed my entire opinion on fan critique because I realized that there were decisions made that had nothing to do with fans. It was all business. And then when I understood that I was able to drop some of my animosity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Well, let's uh, let's get let's uh, go back into you know super positive talk because we we you know we want to we want to pull back the curtain a little bit on C sure. and dig into all the all the themes behind it. So, I mean, just to start off. How did you get involved with the project? Well, it, it was very interesting because I got an email out of nowhere asking me if I wanted to meet with at the time Machinima, which was you know a former you know app. But, you know, uh, you know, entertainment app that was distributed by created by Warner Brothers Entertainment. Right. And I didn't know what it was about. And I said, sure, why not? You know, and it turned out to be Transformers. And I was completely blown away because and I know I was not the first person on that list. I might have been like 15th or 16th on that list. But for whatever reason, all those people, all those people in front of me decided not to do it or couldn't do it. And so I just stepped up to the plate and. You know, um, I met with F.J. DeSanto. I met with a couple other people. And next thing you know, I had they sent me all the material and I signed the contract. I mean, it was a matter of happening within two weeks. It blew my mind. I was stunned. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, you got to write episodes, episodes uh, four through six uh, with yeah. Gavin Hignite. And uh, what was the writing process like? Well, it's funny because I didn't even realize he was giving a co-writer credit on the episodes I wrote, because when I wrote, written them, I wrote them alone. But I'm assuming that. And but, you know, when, in watching it now, because I wasn't privy to the editing process or the production process at all as a writer. So I had no idea what changes they made. I had no idea what they added or whatever. So when watching it, I would say the great majority of what I wrote is there. But clearly there had been some edits done, and I'm assuming that Gavin wrote those edits, which is why his name was on. I, I mean, and I don't mean this in a negative sense, but when I first saw the credits and saw Brandon Easton and Gavin uh, Hignite, I was just like, why is his name? At first, I was like, why is his name there? Because I didn't see too many changes from what I had actually done. So, but clearly, you know, he had he had the opportunity to go in and make some changes that Netflix or Rooster Teeth or whoever else wanted to save money. Cause it looked like it was a lot of cost cutting measures to be honest. Okay. So, but it wasn't, and, and I, I said that wasn't a negative thing because I did speak with um, Gavin a couple of times during the process and he was very cool. And I know he was working on a uh, cyberverse at the time. So I didn't get a lot of cyberverse input from him or but there wasn't any, there wasn't a lot of cross, you know, cross um, discussions between cyberverse and war for Cybertron siege. But uh you know, obviously, you know, he, he definitely had a lot to do with the development of Cyberverse and some of those ideas being implanted in uh, War for Cybertron. OK. OK, so then so basically uh, when you talked to F.J. DeSanto, he gave you kind of like the overall outline and then said, OK, you write these these three parts here. And then that's uh, and then you turned in the scripts. Was that the extent? Yeah. I mean, to uh, to make it even simpler, like, you know, you know we get a packet of information. Um, when anytime you write on any show, uh, animated live act, whatever the show is, you just get like kind of a packet, a Bible, just who everybody is, what the world is like, what's supposed to happen. And, you know, episodes, I was originally hired, I believe, for episodes only uh, four and five. I think someone else was supposed to do episode six. But um, I think that we were running out of time. And then I had written basically kind of things a very specific way, at, as you've seen at the end of episode five, so that. I, I guess no. I guess they didn't believe anyone would come in and be able to kind of capture the tone that I already established. And again, we were running out of time, so they said, "Hey, write episode six, just wrap it up." And that's what happened, you know, in a nutshell. Okay. 
So what was the most challenging aspect of developing uh, the, the story arc along those three episodes? I mean, when you come in in the middle of anything, that's always going to be challenging as a writer, even when it's extremely structured as it was. I mean, I have to give credit to everyone involved because the outline for the entire first season was extremely well organized and extremely well structured, which made it relatively easier to come in and pick up the baton that was left with at the end of episode three, you know? So um, that's what it was really like. It was, it was challenging in the sense that you want to match the voice of what FJ and uh, George Christick and Gavin had done before I had, you know? And when I came in, I just, it would tell me, look, make sure that it hits these beats, but, you know, put it, you know, put some of your voice in there too, as a fan. And I think you can feel that in episodes four five and six. Cool. So what was your uh, what was your favorite character in or your favorite character arc in these episodes? He- well, you know, that, that's a good one because I, I liked everybody. You know, I didn't get the chance to really uh, spend a lot of time with Alita one as I would have liked. However, Megatron is my favorite character. And this is the Megatron that I always had in my head when I thought about the uh, character as as he was presented over the years, because in, in, you know, in the original show, he, he would sometimes be very vicious, but sometimes very stupid and cowardly, which is bizarre being the leader of the Decepticons to give up all the time. I mean, I understand why a kid's show would have the bad guy be that way, but as the lore expanded after the show ended, I always felt that Megatron should be a lot harsher, a lot colder, a lot smarter, and a lot less afraid of anything at all. You know, he should never back down. And that's kind of the Megatron that I wanted to portray, especially someone who had a legitimate beef against the Autobots and a legitimate beef about his station in life on Cybertron before the Decepticons decided to take it over. I mean, that's a story within itself. I mean, being a former gladiator, being somebody who worked in pits as almost slave labor, you know, that's the Megatron that I wanted to really get into. And I think we did it. We all did a fantastic job of fleshing him out. So I would say that Megatron really was a character that needed that more than anybody else, you know, throughout the whole, because everybody else had kind of a, a very defined personality, whether you're talking about Starscream or Prime or Prowl or Jazz or Wheeljack, but Megatron always just seemed to be ill-defined in my mind. And I think we solved that problem. Yeah, I was I was surprised that you you make Megatron. He is he is cold and ruthless and and uh, and he doesn't back down. But he also has a he has a tiny bit of of sympathy for his enemies. You know, I was I was a little bit surprised by that. That he's you know he doesn't go straight to I want to annihilate everyone. He he I, I think he particularly feels like well you pushed me to you pushed me to this point. Like I, I wanted right. to bring you along with me, but you've pushed me to the point where I have no choice left but to completely destroy you. And uh, it was it was very interesting seeing Megatron get pushed and, you know, build himself up to that to that point where he starts at the point where he's willing to make peace, where where peace is you surrender to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, So, I mean, you talk you mentioned this a little bit about the backstory. And that was also something interesting because we just get hints of it in the show. Uh, but in particular, Alpha Trion looms large as as this influence. It seems like he was a mentor to Megatron, Optimus, and Ultra Magnus all together, and uh, is, you know some kind of 
you know, we get a hint that something happened where, uh, you know, Megatron betrayed the betrayed Alpha Trion and then that started the current conflict. And was there was this more fully fleshed out in, in the backstory or was it or is it just is that still something that's uh, that's was in the outline but wasn't going to get, you know, pushed any further in the story or, you know, what we saw in the in the show? Yeah, this is going to sound crazy, but to, to be absolutely honest, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I honestly do not remember because that was back in 2018, believe it or not, when we were writing this, when I was writing my stuff. Yeah. So to be absolutely honest with you, I actually don't remember if Alpha Trion's backstory was fully developed in, um, in, in, in a War for Cybertron Siege series. I mean, I have no idea, because I'm not working on Earthrise or Kingdom, so I have no idea if that's going to be fleshed out more later which I'm, I'm, I, I have no idea. I'm, I would guess it might be, but honestly, we just had a couple of bullet points. And, I, and it's very vague just to say, to bring up Alpha Trion and his connection to the, uh, the Trion protocols and what would happen if people died and blah, 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 and all spark. I mean, it was very, very, very threadbare. So I'm assuming they might, I'm guessing, this is all speculation on my part now. I'm guessing they might get into that more later, but I have no idea, to be honest with you. Okay. So uh also uh, one of the th- I mean trans uh, transformers uh in in the in G1 very few people died but in in this show we we see we see a lot of death I mean it's a war story and we and we do get we do get a, a lot of generic bots get killed but also some of the you know some of the notable characters some of the the named characters we get Skywarp Moonracer and mm-hmm. of course Ultra Magnus uh, gets a gets a pretty huge uh, huge death scene here so uh were there any restrictions to killing off characters or was that that was already in the outline and you just had to to kind of come up with the way to 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 bring them off or did were there any characters in particular that you that uh you were you were taking out in the in the story or or was that all uh, let me think I remember there being specific characters who did you know get you know, wiped out during the course of the, uh, <laughs> of the episode. There was one character I had, I personally wrote getting killed that I thought was going to be killed in the final episode, but when watching it, that did not occur. So um, I had the green light to kill somebody pretty big, but clearly that didn't happen. And I'm guessing it against his budgetary. It has to be budgetary or some other reason. But I had a really big death sequence plotted out extremely, you know, I wrote the hell out of that sequence because I thought it would be the piece de la resistance of the final episode. And, and it, it, they obviously they cut it out. So oh, yeah, okay. um, there were bullet points about who could be killed and who had to survive. And some of those people clearly died and some of them did not. And then the ones who I got a green light, the one I got a green light to kill is still alive. So maybe, I don't know. You know, I don't know so, what they're going to decide to do. So, so the I'll bullet points were, were who could be killed, not who must be killed. And it was no, I, mean, I think that we had the option to kill right. um, certain people, but I think it was I, the problem. The reason why I can't answer 100 percent, because I don't know if the mandate came down from FJ or if it came down from Hasbro. You know what I mean? Because Hasbro had has always has say on this type of stuff and the production team you know, above me has a lot of say on this stuff. So I'm not 100 percent sure of who said who could die. I just remember being like, okay, this person is going to get killed and that person is going to get killed. And by the time I came on board, Skywarp was already dead. So, you know, I, I was like, wow, they killed Skywarp? 
you know, and then we went from there. You know, <laughs> it was like it's so crazy to be yeah, honest. Moon Racer in particular, I was kind of shocked because that's when all the zombies are attacking uh, Prime and his Autobots, and she just gets you know ripped into pieces. And I was like, whoa, she's going to be all right though, right? She's going to be all right. Oh no, she's not going to be all right. <laughs> that was uh, yeah, that was a little bit shocking. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, were there any characters that you would have liked to expand further that you didn't get a chance to? I know you mentioned you you got to fully flesh out Megatron. Was there anyone else that you that you wanted to expand but didn't have the space to? Yeah, I mean, we didn't have. I mean, that was another thing. It, we didn't have a lot of like physical on screen time to burn. You know what I mean? So. So much had to just go to the main narrative of them getting off of Cybertron. We're getting the AllSpark and then getting off of Cybertron. So um, I would have probably liked to spend to have spent more time with Mirage. I would have liked to have spent more time with Sound Blaster's um, operation. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah. I mean, Mirage definitely would. I would have loved to explore a lot more of his motivations and what he was up to. And of course, you know, I would have liked more time with Optimus Prime. But again, you know, I wanted to have more of his future self kind of show through. But again, we were running out of time. I mean, all we had to do was get them off of that planet. And that was the main thrust of Siege. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And Sound Blaster was an interesting surprise when we saw him come up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and the, that uh, mercenary faction symbol that uh, yeah we don't know we don't know much about yet. So I guess we'll we'll find out more about that later. And truth be told, I don't know anything about it. I didn't know about that mercenary logo until I saw it on the um, first Friday on Hasbro Pulse with those new characters coming in Earthrise. I didn't even know what that thing was. So that that shocked because that wasn't. Well, I mean, it wasn't in my script, so I, I didn't even know about that. That's something that they just- obviously have way under wraps. He was just a character. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, one thing uh, that I, I thought was really cool uh, in the story was uh, like this, this virus that shockwave releases and how I like how the decision for, you know, Megatron's decision to release this virus and they make a point that, well, the planet is all basically supported by mostly Autobot infrastructure. So if you release this virus, you're hurting the Decepticons as well as the Autobots. And I really thought that was interesting that, and he still went ahead and made that decision. Uh, mm-hmm. That was, a, that was a really, uh, really cool, really interesting moment for me. And uh, uh, one question I had was uh, with, with Bumblebee having the protocols like in himself, was there, how did, um, how did the virus jump from like the computer systems back into Bumblebee? Or is the assumption that all the bots are kind of like linked up to their, to the computers or is it, uh, you know, he was, uh, he, you know, cause in, in the, in the story, he, um, they're escaping from sound blasters place. And then he's like, he's automatically shut down, uh, mm-hmm. you know, from the virus, whatever. Ah, oh, man, I'm trying to remember how this went because something I'll say this much. Some things definitely changed from my original script, especially that was episode five. So there were quite a few things that changed about, um, Bumblebee's infiltration of the um, mercenary camp and the crime syndicates and all that stuff. Um, I, the way it was originally written, I just felt that it, it, they said certain Autobots, sort of like, you know, how the Matrix chooses somebody. Like it was like the, the protocols were placed, you know, would find the right robot, you know, at the time. And at the time that was Bumblebee. 
that's that's the basic explanation I can give, you know, because it's not it wasn't really well defined to begin with. So so basically, it's just meant to be assumed that the virus traveled the same same protocols that or same things that the alpha trim protocols um, did. So they found Bumblebee. So the virus also went to Bumblebee. Right. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> it was just MacGuffin killer. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I mean, I, and I liked uh, you. the The last episode really brought everything to a big, uh, a big climax. Uh, you had the, you know, the battles and everything. We did get a um, the the big reveal at the end with Omega Supreme. I thought that was uh, yep. that was really great. Uh, we also got a, a little glimpse of Astro Train, but it seemed like he didn't really get to do much in the in the episode. It was more written for him that they just like they maybe they didn't have the budget to do or. No, I mean, I didn't even know Astro Train was going to be, that was a character model. I didn't know that was going to show okay. up. You know, I mean, I didn't, I mean, I'm just like, wow. I mean, I was so, there was a lot of stuff I saw that surprised me because they did add in things, obviously, in post, I mean, you know, way after the scripts were written and rewritten. And, you know, I, yeah, you know, it, I, I had no Astro Train, if I can remember, I don't remember writing anything for Astro Train at all. Okay, okay. Yeah, but uh, but I, it was nice to see how uh, you linked uh, Omega Supreme to the Autobots and and g- gave him kind of a little bit of agency because uh, it was it was cool to see at the in the in episode four I think when when Optimus Prime goes to visit the Guardians and how they basically yeah. refuse him, but then as he walks away, you see just a shadow of one of the Guardians watching Prime as he leaves, and I guess the assumption is that's Omega Supreme and he's actually. Uh, you know, deciding for himself that no, I'm not. I'm not going to go along with the rest of my brothers, and I'm gonna. I'm going to work with the Autobots, and I, and I like that payoff in the last episode. Yeah, so did I. I mean, when I saw that in the trailer, because I knew what I knew what was coming, I was like, "Good God, that looks absolutely beautiful." I had no idea it was going to look like that. So, that was really awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, that, everyone is. Yeah, I think we're. Um, we're really happy with Siege, and uh, and I, I just rewatched it again uh, this weekend to because we're doing our 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 review uh, for the 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 parts that you've written uh, later on in uh, in an upcoming show. So uh, we're looking forward to that. But I wanted to also shift because you're that's not the only Transformers thing you're working on. So you're also working on an Ultra Magnus story in Transformers Galaxies. Absolutely. Yeah. So I wanted to um, to talk to you about that because. It seems so. It's Ultra Magnus, of course, had a big part in Siege, and now in this story in Galaxies, it's slightly different. It's it's way back in the past. It's pre-war. Uh, it's uh, so I'm wondering where Ultra Magnus is in this in this pre-war Cybertron, where we don't even really have Autobots and Decepticons yet. So what what is he doing at this point? Well, I, don't, I, I can't get too much into that, but um, <laughs> well, let's see. Uh, well, he's on a mission in deep space far away from Cybertron and the setup is that they get a message and if you're reading the IDW main Transformers line this takes place before the current issues but it's going to kind of merge toward the end of the arc with what's happening currently in the IDW uh, main Transformers comic. So he's off, and like I was saying, it's kind of set. It's the story is um, triggered when they get a message when 
excuse me, when Ultra Magnus gets a message about Alpha Trion gone missing. So Alpha Trion is still alive at this point and somewhere out in space. And um, he goes on a mission to find him. And what he finds leads him to understand that the Cybertron that he left is not the Cybertron that he's going to return to. Because when he leaves, he's still kind of living in, I guess would be the the Cybertronian equivalent of the American 1950s, you know, <laughs> where people think it was much better than it was, depending on who you were. But, they, you know, it, he, he imagines it as this beautiful place that, you know, we, it was some wars and we fought and we suffered, but everything is going to be okay because people like me are out here protecting Cybertron and people like me are all over Cybertron doing the right thing. And people around him, particularly the villains he encounters are basically like, dude, you have no idea what's going on back on Cybertron, do you? You've been out here way too long, you know? And that's kind of the gist of the story that I could reveal so far. Okay. Cool. And that's a, it's a three issue story with, uh, uh, with art by Andrew Griffith, I believe. Absolutely. And he's been outdoing himself as he usually does with the artwork. Um, there's some stuff there that, especially in, at the end of issue uh, 11 and throughout 12, that I think people are going to be blown away by. I mean, I, I was I was looking at the art and I was just like, good God, man, this is just <laughs> absolutely gorgeous. And I, I can't wait for folks to see it because if anybody was upset with the lack of Ultra Magnus action and adventure and siege, you're going to get way more than you bargained for in the Galaxy's uh, three-issue arc. Awesome. So yeah, how, I mean, yeah, yeah. So how did the how did the collaboration process go with with Andrew uh, on the on this comic? Did you just write the script and hand it over to him, or was there some back and forth? And like as he's as he's drawing the pages. Yeah, I would say that it's it's a typical comic book pipeline. IDW hires me, hires a writer. Writer does the scripts with the editors, and then the editor sends it to the art, hires and then sends it to the art team. I know Andrew anyway, but we had we didn't have a lot of preliminary um, development for this. It was like they were asked, they asked me who I wanted, and I said, "Well, if I can get Andrew Griffith, that'd be awesome." And they were like, "Okay, fine," and they went and got Andrew to do the three issue art. Oh, cool! Yeah, you guys uh, uh, did you guys you guys worked on a Kickstarter together, right? I, or was that am I misremembering that? No, you're absolutely correct. It was yeah. for my. Uh, original graphic novel concept called Dominion's Light, which is like a sci-fi fantasy hybrid. Mm -hmm. And Andrew had came up to me years ago, I want to say about almost two years ago. And he basically said, you know, I'd like to work on something other than a robot someday. And I say, well, you know, when I can get the money to afford you, I will hire you to do my science fiction fantasy, you know, universe thing. And, you know, time went by and then his schedule opened up and I had the money and I had the money to at least start to pay him. And then the rest of it, you know, we got through Kickstarter. So thank God, you know, and it's, it's been fantastic. I mean, he's been able to bring my visions to life, you know, little by little, because we've both been crazy busy and the pandemic has gotten in the way of production. Mm -hmm. But what he's been able to pull out of that art has just been extraordinary. I, I've been very pleased. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, with, uh, with the Ultra Magnus uh, story arc, are there any similarities uh, uh, with the Ultra Magnus in your comic that uh, compares to the the one you wrote in Siege, or is it? Uh, I mean, they're they're pretty much at, at opposite ends of their of their lifetime. But uh, did you try to bring kind of a similar personality? 
Well, um, I'm trying to figure out how to answer that one. <laughs> there are, in theory, I would say that what happens in the current IDW comic and Galaxies 2 is kind of a prequel for everything that happens in Siege. So, okay. so the voice of Ultra Magnus in my story is a little bit more like um, Ajax in the Trojan War, you know, like the Brad Pitt character in Troy. You know, he's very much a straightforward kind of blunt instrument kind of warrior. Very smart, very honorable, but there's not a lot of gray area for him. It's like, you know, you do something wrong, you're going to be punished. You know, you're going to do your time, but you're not getting away with evil. And if you try to kill him, he is going to hurt you really, really bad, if not kill you, which he doesn't usually kill people. But if you push him too hard, you know, he will defend himself. So that's the Ultra Magnus you're going to get in my galaxy story. And by the end of the arc, I will say this much, that he grows up a little bit in understanding that, again, the world that he's come back to is not the world that he left. And that's a major, major thing for his character changing and then becoming the person you see in Siege. All right. Awesome. Uh, Jeremy, did you have any uh, any questions uh, before we wrap things up? Well, no, I mean, I think a lot of the questions that I would have, you aren't going to be able to answer. <laughs> just because, you know. Oh, what are your questions? Well, no, I mean, it's just more just about the comic. Um, you know, we had a pretty well-defined Ultra Magnus for the previous iteration of IDW's continuity. And he was kind of at the start that straight, no holds barred, but very analytical, almost a detective um, at times. And I just didn't know if any of that was going to come over as well. Just, you know, you, you said he's smart, but is he kind of tactical or analytical at the situations? Yeah, and you, and you will see that in especially in, ep, in episode, in issue 11 of Galaxies, you see a lot of the tactics and little tricks that he pulls out of his sleeve to, to, to gain victory over and over again. And uh, yeah, like he's, he, he always has an ace up his sleeve to get out of certain tight situations. He's always thinking ahead. And Ultra Magnus's team in this story includes Chrome Dome and um, somebody else, which I'm not going to spoil, is going to be a uh, nice surprise to see in, in issue 11 who shows up to hell to back him. Cool. And I'll leave it at that. And I think some people, particularly the hardcore fans, are going to get a kick out of seeing this character pop up in the, ID, the new IDW continuity. Nice. All right. Well, thanks so much, uh, Brandon, for joining us and, and talking to us about all your work. Is there is there anything, uh, any projects you got coming up that you can tell us about, or or any uh, anything you want to plug uh, before we uh, before we wrap things up? Sure. Um, well, as you mentioned earlier, you know, I just wrapped up my uh, run on Marvel Action Spider Man. It was originally going to be a twelve issue run, but the pandemic took care of that, so um, we stopped at issue three. So it's the Shocker storyline. And that's going to be collected real soon in a trade. But I just wanted folks to know that, you know, if you want the original issues, they're still available. And issue three just came out last Wednesday. So if you want to get a hold of that, grab it because, you know, that's it for that run. Um, I just I just wrapped up the Judge Dredd series I'm working on called False Witness. The first issue dropped 
on the last comic book day before the pandemic hit. So people have been sitting with issue one, which got really good reviews, thank goodness. And um, those issues will be resuming in August. And that's called uh, Judge Dredd False Witness, which I am the first African-American writer of Judge Dredd in history. So I was pretty happy about that. Um, Star Trek year five, we're going to be wrapping up the final issues of that. And that's going to be coming out throughout the end of 2021 and into, I'm sorry, the end of 2020 and into the beginning of 2021. So that's some stuff that folks can look forward to. And I got hired to work on another major, major franchise, but I can't talk about that yet. So um, there's, there's some good stuff on the horizon coming from me. And if anybody wants to find me, the best place to hit me up is on Twitter at Brandon Easton. I am, you know, I don't spend a whole lot of time on Twitter, but I, I'd rather communicate with fans and friends that way these days. So feel free to reach out to me on uh, Twitter. And I'm also on Instagram at Brandon Easton Writer. I'm very happy to inter- interact and talk to people on there too. So that's what's going on with me these days. And that Judge Dredd book, um, Kay Zama did the art, right? Yes, she did. Yeah, absolutely. Kay Zama is the artist. And um, I made sure to put some um, Mechanismo droids in there for her. Those who know Judge know about the giant robots in Mega City One that have replaced all the dead judges. <laughs> so uh, street judges, that is. So um, that's pretty cool. So yeah, Kazama, former you know Death's Head artist and Transformers okay. artist, she is doing some great stuff for uh, False Witness. Well, issue One is already available. You can get it on Amazon or Comixology as a digital download. And the the actual issues are in some comic book stores, but it's really gonna. It's already hard to find. So um, cool. you know, keep an eye out for that. Brandon, thanks again. Uh, yeah, thanks, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll definitely put all our put all your links to social media in our show notes so everyone can uh, can find you on Twitter and Instagram. Mm-hmm. And uh, that'll do it for this episode of Transmissions Alt Mode. And uh, yeah, everyone, check out. Uh, War for Cybertron Siege on Netflix. I'm sure if you're watching this, you've probably already watched all six episodes. I hope you have. And look for the Transformers Galaxies issues 10, 11, and 12. That's uh, the Ultra Magnus story arc that Brandon has written. And those will be coming up very soon. So, uh, of course, keep listening to Transmissions Podcast at transmissionspodcast.com. And all our shows are there. All our all our podcasts are there. All links to all our stuff on YouTube as well. So, Thanks. Can I say one more thing before we go? Yeah, sure. Go right ahead. Okay. Now, I just wanted to say thank you guys for the work you guys do. I mean, your podcast is fantastic. Please, you guys keep up the good work, too. And it's good to have um, fan voices out there in, you know, pop culture and the media and the, and the podcast spheres, particularly good Transformers discussion. So you guys keep up the good work. And, um, you know, I, I'll be listening as long as you keep making them. Awesome. Thank oh, you. thank you. Yeah. That really appreciate that. That's really nice to hear. <laughs> That's the truth. Thank you. Thank you for having me again. Yeah, and we'll have to have you back on very soon. And uh, please, I'd love to talk about the uh, galaxies after it drops. So <laughs> that'd be fun. <laughs> that, that's not a problem. We always get creators when they're like projects have been announced and stuff, and they can't tell us anything. <laughs> oh, I have a lot to say about galaxies. So please bring me back for that one. Yeah, definitely. All right. Definitely. Yep. Cool. All right, everyone. Yeah. Thanks, uh, thanks again to Brandon, and thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye.
Hey everyone, thanks for listening to this episode of Transmissions. But just because this episode is over doesn't mean the Transformers fun has to stop. Join us and other Transformers fans on our Discord chat server by visiting transmissionspodcast.com slash discord. If you would like to learn more about how you could support the Transmissions podcast, just visit transmissionspodcast.com slash support. Thank you all for listening and we'll see you again next week. 